you know, I look forward to teaching this. This is one of the most fun things I get to do each, each week. <clears throat> and I said, this would be really good for me to have a distraction from all that's going on with Dad and uh, Mom and Holly and Catherine and our families. And then I realized I'm teaching on Lamentations, which is perhaps the most depressing book in the entire Bible. <laughs> so, so the distraction's not quite there. I also did get, uh, and by the way, the outpouring of love from you that, that Catherine and, and uh, her end of the family and Holly and Kevin and their end of the family and, and Becky and I and our end have received has been tremendous and I cannot thank you enough. Uh, uh, we're honored to have so many people who care about us and, and who so model uh, God's love to us uh, at this time in our lives. Uh, mom and dad, same thing. Um, mom's just really been touched by the way this church has reached out. And dad is still in ICU. Uh, they won't know. Uh, the next few days are still critical as to whether or not he lives through the stroke. And then uh, they won't know for a number of weeks if he does live through the stroke what the residual problems might be. Uh, so uh, uh, we get to visit him 20 minutes every three hours. Uh, after class we have to rush out because we have a big doctor's meeting and I won't be here to visit with you all and I apologize for that. Uh, because a number of you uh, I get a chance to talk to after class usually. Um, so anyway, thank you for your prayers very much. New subject. Uh, as we go through the Bible here and look at biblical literacy, uh, those of you who are in my generation might remember Father Guido Sarducci. <laughs> you remember him from Saturday Night Live? Uh, I was asked the same comment about Alan Fath's song last week, how come he can do the whole Bible in a five-minute song and it seems to be taking us so long. And uh, my only response was Father Guido Sarducci. If you remember his skit on college education, Father Guido Sarducci, for those of you who, who maybe don't know, was a character on Saturday Night Live. He played a uh, Catholic um, priest. Um, but, but a very irreverent one, I guess, in some ways. He stood up there and chain-smoked the whole time he talked. And he spoke with a very thick Italian accent. And uh, uh, he stood up there on one of his sketches, and he said, <clears throat> I'm going to give you the uh, Father Guido Sarducci college education. He says, it takes us about to five minutes, and that's all you need. After five minutes, you will know everything that you remember anyway after five years of college. So he says, we'll start with economics. You need to remember supply and demand. That's all you remember anyway after five years or later. So you remember that. You got to economics, you make an A. <laughs> then he goes through each course and he just tells you the one little bit you need to remember. And after five minutes, if you can remember everything he said in that five-minute sketch, he says, you have all of the memories you're going to have after you've been out of college five years anyway. So you get the degree. That's not quite what our class is. That's more Alan Fath's song, okay? <laughs> our class is going into a little bit more depth. Um, so work with me. Today we are in the book of Lamentations. The next two weeks we are hyping up for Super Sunday. And uh, uh, we need to have a lot of people here Super Sunday because they're going to scrutinize to see whether... Like, uh, uh, we, 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 we bring them in. You get like a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. I'm trying, since Lewis is on staff, I'm trying to get Lewis to use his keys to sneak in so we get like two-for-ones. I don't know if we're going to be able to do that yet, and so far I haven't ethically talked Lewis into stealing. But <clears throat> I'm, work I'm a lawyer, so I think I can figure out how it's an honest thing to do. 
and if we get a two for one, Moriarty and I'll take 40% of whatever y'all are getting, so <laughs> it'll work. Um, we are this morning, as we chart our way through the Old Testament, we finished Jeremiah last week, so we've hit uh, the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a wonderful little book. I nearly rolled it into Jeremiah, but I decided, ah, it's not like we're speeding through this. Anyway, let's take a Sunday and give a Sunday to the book. As my mom said to me at the hospital last night, now, what are you teaching on tomorrow? I said, Lamentations. She said, oh, I wish I was going to be there. I've been going to church for all 29 years she's been alive. <laughs> Please understand, that's like dog years, though. I mean, that's really like 140-something. Um, uh, uh, she said, uh, I have never heard an entire class or sermon on the book of Revelation. I mean, uh, a book of lamentation, they rhyme. And uh, I said, well, sorry, <laughs> stay here with that. And uh, uh, you can listen to it on the Internet. So with that, uh, uh, you have your handouts, I hope. If not, raise your hand. We've got some additional ones to give you. Keep your notebooks together. Um, we have great, thank you. Anybody else need a handout? Lamentation. It is a wonderful, interesting, depressing little book. And uh, uh, I'm delighted to get to talk to you about it. I want to start out by asking you, what is a lamentation? If we look it up in Oxford's English Dictionary, we'll read that a lamentation is the passionate or demonstrative expression of grief or mourning. Um, in other words, it's not a lamentation is not just being depressed or, or mourning or, or, or grieving, but it's the expression of it in some overt, passionate type way. Um, it might take place uh, uh, in, in the way you act, it might take place in the way you dress, but there is a specific area of a lamentation that refers to something that is written or something that is vocal. A vocal expression of, uh, of uh, mourning or of grief. And so uh, we have a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Well, question number one. Where on earth did it get that title? Remember, as these books were originally written in the Old Testament, they're written as scrolls, okay, and instead of books. This is pre-book. And so the scroll is a parchment that, that has the writing on it, but the books did not have titles. The titles were added later by various groups. So who dreamed up this title of Lamentation? If we were reading the original Hebrew, the title would be Echa, which means, um, uh, uh, well, let me first tell you where it came from. It, it's the first word in the Hebrew book. The Hebrew titles generally come from the first word of each scroll. Okay? So the first word here is Echa, which means um, how, in, um, as some people translate it, alas, um, uh, it's, it's, it's the Hebrew word that has some measure of grief attached, as you say, oh, like, uh, I mean, that, that's almost even a better one for us. In, in 21st century America, it's kind of like, eh, uh, 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 uh. Any one of those three could translate it. Um, it it's it's kind of like, ugh. You know, you just want to start something with kind of a cringe, kind of a... Uh, this is not a good thing. And, and so that's the context of the Hebrew word. But you notice your book is not titled, um, It could be if you read it, uh, but, but it's not really the title. 
So let's fast forward. When the Jewish scholars in Alexandria, Egypt, a couple hundred years before Christ, were translating the Hebrew into Greek, they did stick a title on it. This was a time of titles. And the Greek title is threni, which means, um, um, it, it, it comes from the Greek word threomai, which means to shriek. And uh, 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 the Greek word threni means literally to, to wail, to weep, to lament. Uh, you can just imagine what it means by thinking of the word shriek. And uh, that's, that, it's the noun form of, of, of to shriek. Um, Greek has uh, wonderful words for expressions. Um, threeny to me is almost a shrieking type word. You can almost hear the shriek in it. It's like the Greek word spit. The Greek word spit for I spit is ptuo. It is. That's the Greek word for spit. It says not onomatopoeia. That's right. And, and so the Greek words often, you, you can see where they come from just by hearing them if you say them. So you can just see some threene person shriek, shrieking, and, and that's what the Greek title was. Now, Jerome, who was a, a, a big wig in the Catholic Church, uh, in the 4th century translated the Bible into Latin. Okay? And it's what we call the Vulgate. It's what the Catholic Church has traditionally used. And when uh, uh, Jerome translated this into Latin, he translated uh, the Greek word for shriek into, or, or for wailing or, or lamenting into the Latin word, which is uh, lamentationis. Um, uh, we get lamentations from it pretty directly. And that's why uh, uh, the English Bible today uses the title of lamentations. Um, ultimately, that's where the title comes from. That's going to be great Sunday lunch talk. Um, new subject. Who wrote the book of Lamentations? I want, this is class participation moment. Guesses. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. That's the typical guess. 49% of people guess that. Recognizing that 46.7% of statistics are made up on the spot. Um, the, in other words, I don't know how many people guess it. Um, in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, the reason, the first reason most people assume Jeremiah, and by most people I don't mean most people sitting out in class today, I mean the scholars and others and, and all, and historically what a lot of people have thought, is out of a passage in Second Chronicles. And it's the passage I've put on the screen up here from Second Chronicles 35-25. Um, um, it says, Jeremiah composed laments for Josiah. He was the king who had just died. And to this day, all the men and women singers commemorate Josiah in the laments. These became a tradition in Israel and are written in the laments. Um, and so people read the Bible and they see that and they get to Lamentations and they think, oh my, this must be Jeremiah who wrote Lamentations. Uh, no, not fair to use that passage for that. Lamentations is not about King Josiah. King Josiah has been long dead at the time Lamentations are written. The Lamentations are about the destruction and fall of Jerusalem, um, which happened generations later after King Josiah. I say generations, not a bunch, but Jeremiah is still alive. But uh, uh, it's successive kings later, I should say. So we don't think Jeremiah wrote it off of Second Chronicles in that passage. Um, when the Jewish translators translated the Bible into 
uh, Greek. The Jewish translators put Lamentations at the end of Jeremiah. Okay? And so a lot of people say, well, the Jewish translators must have thought Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. <laughs> See, the Jewish translators um, um, were, were real involved in, in aspects of uh, the Bible that we don't think in terms of today. It's real hard for us sometimes to think in ways that the Bible writers think. Which reminds me, by the way, can we take a commercial break? Is that okay? I forgot to tell you all one of the coolest things about the book of Jeremiah last week. But this is an example of how biblical writers and times don't often translate into ours. There is a reference in the Bible to um, Babylon and the king of Babylon. And um, um, he is called the king of Shishak. In, uh, in Jeremiah, there is no place of Shishak. There was never a king of Shishak. Jeremiah uses um, a Hebrew uh, uh, writing technique here where if I'm going to do it in English so that you, you can then appreciate the Hebrew since uh, most folks won't follow the Hebrew alphabet. But if we only had in English, say, um, five letters of the alphabet, a, B, C, D, and E. And we wanted to write code. Did you, do you when you were kids, did y'all ever write codes or come up with codes? You see your kids do codes when they pass notes. Everybody loves Raymond. Raymond wrote in his diary or journal in code, which was so stupid. Everybody who read it understood it. Um, if you remember that episode. Okay, there, this was a code in the Bible that Jeremiah used. What Jeremiah would do uh, in this example is he basically took each letter of the alphabet and switched it with the appropriate last letter. And so, for example, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet is an Aleph, which I'll do with an A, and the second is a Bet, which I'll do with a B. The last letter in the Hebrew alphabet is a, a Tate, which I'll do as a T, and the one before that is what we have is the letters SH. And so every time there was a B, he would write an SH. And uh, 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 he, tra- he, he did this funny little thing. Okay, does that, you all kind of follow? The, the, the writers back then and the thinkers back then thought very differently than we do. And one of the hardest things for us before we understand the Bible for us today, is to try and understand the Bible in the way it was written and then bring it in and put it in today's context. It's very uh, difficult to do. Uh, Most of the time, it's not that big of a deal. The gospel message resounds loudly throughout every civilization. But there are passages where very interesting things have happened. Now, why do I bring that up? When the Jewish writers were putting the Bible into Greek... They are 24 Old Testament books, right? But only 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so the Jewish writers wanted to make their 22 Hebrew Old Testament books. So there's one book for each letter of the alphabet. And it gives it the A to Z. So this is like God's word from A to Z. All 22 letters, all 22 books. And they had to like shimmy 24 into 22. So they're like trying to get that square peg into the round hole and they're having to shave a little bit off and a little bit there 
And the best way they could do it is take the book of Lamentations and combine it with Jeremiah. They took the book of Ruth and combined it with Judges. And that's why in the Hebrew translation into the Greek, there were only 22 books. So in the process of doing that, the Jewish writers have to come up with some reason that it fits, and they do so by saying, hey, that's all right. Yes, who do we need? The Dingles are needed. Sorry. Not a problem. Um, so um, uh, then you've got Jerome, and Jerome's in the process of translating, and Jerome is translating some out of the Hebrew, but also some out of the Greek version of the Old Testament. And Jerome's this guy who's writing what becomes, in essence, the Catholic Bible, the Latin Vulgate. And this is the tag that's added at that point in time by him. Whoops. Let's go tablet. What has happened? Hmm. It was flickering. We have the technology. Okay, we're going to have to speed through class. I don't know how long that repair is. Um, I mean, that's just kind of... Anyway, quickly, here's what was added. Um, And it came to pass after Israel had been taken into captivity in Jerusalem, had been laid waste, that Jeremiah sat weeping and lamented this lamentation over Jerusalem and said, and boom, the book starts. But there's really no basis for that. I mean, understand when Jerome wrote this in in the 4th century, he's already almost a thousand years out from lamentations being written. So he's not privy to, to, to critical knowledge. So, eh, that gets the Ghostbusters cancel. Um, so who wrote it? Did Jeremiah write it? Well, maybe. But what we can say for certain is the Holy Spirit hadn't seen fit to reveal to us who the actual author is in worldly terms. Okay. All right. When was it written? Now, this we actually do pretty good on. It had to be after 587 B.C., because that's the year that Jerusalem was conquered and the temple was destroyed and the people finally carted off into the last captivity. Not only do we know it was written after 587 B.C., the odds are really good and no one really disputes that this was written by an eyewitness to the destruction of Jerusalem. When you read this and you read the words, the, the, the words jump off the page at you. This is someone who experienced the walk. This is not someone writing history. This is someone who saw it. This is someone who in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 11 says, My eyes fail from weeping. I can't see because I've cried so much. He's seen infants' lives ebb away in their mother's arms. Young and old lie together in the streets fallen by the sword. These are the words of someone who has graphically seen the destruction that came from a conquering country come in and totally annihilate and leave desolate. A wake of of devastation. So we have an eyewitness who is writing this lamentation. We know that it was probably written before 
538 B.C. because 538 B.C. is when the Jews were brought back from captivity. So somewhere in that time range, we've got this book written. Now, let's talk about what's unique about the book as we go through this. First of all, it's in a genre of literature. You and I may not realize this uh, as we go through our days, but uh, well, let, let me approach it this way. How many of you like science fiction? You knew to raise your hand or not to raise your hand because you knew what I meant when I said science fiction. I'm talking about a special kind of book or a movie that deals with fictionalized scientific things, right? How many of you like um, um, historical novels? See? You knew what kind of book I was talking about because that's a whole area of writing. And when I talk about a historical novel, you know what kind of book that is. How many of you like Harlequin romances? <laughs> Lewis. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> he didn't raise his hand. I was just gigging him. Someone's got a birthday coming up. Um, the, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> these are, are genres of literature. These are areas of writing. Well, back in Old Testament times, there was a genre of literature called a lamentation. And they could be written over people who had, had died, but they were also frequently written over cities that had been destroyed and cultures that had been annihilated. And this was true for over a thousand years before the time of our book of Lamentation. Um, I took a, 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 a section of a lamentation over uh, um, the destruction of Ur. And this is a Sumerian writing that dates somewhere around 2000 B.C. But it gives you an idea, and we've got the lamentation of this. We've got other lamentations as well that, that we've got that you can read translations of. And here's what it says. The great storm howls above in front of the storm fires burn. The peoples groan in its boulevards where the feasts were celebrated. Scattered they lay. The people lay in heaps. Alas for my city. Alas for my house. A lamentation over the destruction of Ur. You go back and read some of these lamentations and they're fascinating because they all talk about God will, you know, or the gods usually, will come and restore this city. And many of these lamentations prophesy the restoration of their city. Um, those cities did not get restored historically with the same peoples. That's something unique about Israel. Their God really did restore that city. And the restoration really does come about. Um, aside from being a specific kind of literature, Lamentations has some other great uniqueness. How many of you, this truly is class participation day, how many of you like math? Okay, that's all right. That's enough to, to keep checkbooks balanced. Um, reasonably. The, uh, um, whoever wrote the book of Lamentations, I think liked math because there's almost a mathematical purity to it. Uh, it, 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 um, it forms what we would call an acrostic. Let me explain. 
First of all, uh, uh, if we break the book down, the book has five chapters. And all of the chapters deal with mourning or lamenting. Um, it's got chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. Okay, sorry, I have to pause to look up because I'm not sure what's going up there and what's not. Um, the... Uh, uh, what would be the center, if I wanted a hinge of, a, of this, what would be the center or the hinge? Three. Okay, so three is the key chapter. Three is also the chapter that talks about um, a, a personal lament. Three is a very personal. It's, it's my personal uh, God... Uh, uh, it's been horrible, it's been terrible, it's all about the individual there. It's an Israelite's poem. Each one of these chapters are separate poems. So chapter 1 is the first poem. Chapter 2 is the second poem. The third poem, the fourth poem, and the fifth poem, etc. Each side of that key chapter, that middle central chapter, you have what we would call a national poem. It's a poem about the whole nation. And that's true for one and two. That's also true for three, I mean for four and five. Each one is a nation poem. Talking about how the whole nation grieves and the whole nation repents and the whole nation confesses and the whole nation was sinful. So you've got nation poems in one and two and in four and five and then that center poem is a personal poem. Y'all with me so far? Oh, we're just getting warmed up. The, uh, let's look now at chapter 1. The first poem, poem 1, which is chapter 1, has 22 verses. All right, those of you who were paying attention earlier, the number 22, does it mean anything to you? The letters in the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22. There's one verse for each letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And what's more, each verse starts, the first word in each verse is the corresponding letter of the alphabet. So it would, first word is the A. That's the Ika. <laughs> it actually starts with the, an Aleph in, in Hebrew, the A. The second word starts with the letter B, Beit, in Hebrew. The third, the letter G, which is the third letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Gimel. The fourth, the letter D, which is Dalet in the Hebrew alphabet. On and on, and it goes through all 22 letters. Each verse has three stanzas in it. And it's only that first stanza, that very first word in the verse that starts with the letter. But that's the first poem. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay, second poem. Guess how many verses? You got it. Guess why? Yeah, guess what each, the first word in each letter, or the first letter of each first word in each verse starts with? Uh-huh. And so on. And it's also got several stanzas in each verse, but, okay, 
Now, let's go to the, which is the key chapter in here? Chapter 3, the key. Well, that's just absolute. Okay, I do this little abbreviation. That's a key. Sorry. I'm just using my own abbreviation. Don't that kind of look like a key? Okay, that's key. Well, it's my key. Um, uh, cap, the key chapter, chapter 3, the third poem. Oh, this is a trick one. Someone's got their Bible open. How many verses? 66? Three times 22. You're right. So verse 1, 2, and 3, the first word of each word of the verse, or the first word letter of the first word of each of those verses, verse 1, 2, and 3, guess what letter? A, A, A. Verse 4, 5, and 6, guess what letter? B. And then G. And then D, and then Vav, um, a V, which is the next letter, all, all the way down, all the way down. Okay. Now, that's the key chapter. So then we go back to chapter 4, we're back to 22 verses, A, B, G, D. Chapter 5, 22 verses, but they didn't alphabetize them in chapter 5. That's kind of bizarre, isn't it? You kind of miss that in the old uh, English, but uh, see, that's why it's amazing this class is free. <laughs> People usually pay tuition dollars to memorize that trivial stuff. Um, but it does raise a question, why the elaborate structure? Why the elaborate structure? Well, let me suggest to you, there are psalms that have been written that way. Psalm 119 stands out. Generally, things were written that way back in those societies to help you memorize them. My daughter Gracie was in a speech tournament this weekend. She had to give a memorized oration. She was having trouble memorizing this list of six things in the oration. I said, take the first letter of, of each one of those six and form a word with them. I don't remember what the six were, but I can tell you right now, V, P, R, because we did vapor off of that. That was the first letter of each of the three. And I didn't remember the other three as she was getting out of the car. She tried to figure that out. But it helps you remember. If you can take things like that, you think, okay, first verse, that's the A. All right, well, that's going to be ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Second verse, that's the B, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. See how it could help you memorize? That's probably not the reason, though, for lamentation. The reason it's probably not is you'd get confused. It doesn't help you if first verse is an A. Well, you got, is that chapter 1 or chapter 2 or chapter 3? 